you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Gear. And it is, I believe, episode 123 at the end of June, uh, June 26th, Don, and uh, Velvet Season's here, uh, one of the most uh, looked forward to times of the year for us. Absolutely. I'm ready to get some cameras out. I started messing with my cameras yesterday, putting batteries in them and uh, testing my cell cameras, make sure they're they're connecting right and, and working good. So uh, this week, I'll probably get started a little bit since next weekend. I'm going to be spending part of my weekend with you uh, doing the Lester's feet drawing. Yep. Um, so that takes one day out of my weekend, but uh, for a great cause. And um, so I, I might get a jump a, a ahead of that a uh, couple days putting cameras out. So let's, let's talk a little bit about cameras uh, itself. So I did the same thing. I know a lot of people leave their cameras out all year long. We talk about how we pull them and uh, start putting them back out about this time of year i did the same thing uh i have i'm looking at mine over on the table right now um i'm actually cutting back a number of cameras this year uh because i don't have kind of scouting properties you know we gave up all of the lease properties that we have together a couple years ago and slowly starting to you know replace some of the cheaper cameras that i have but i'm curious don how many energizer lithium batteries did you stockpile up before the season started well I, I placed an order probably two three months ago and that order was over eight hundred dollars in batteries <laughs> and uh, that won't get me through the season but uh, <laughs> I, I easily use a thousand dollars of batteries a year and that's not counting the uh you know the the fee for running cell cameras right so yeah, yeah, I'm I probably just, spending easily fifteen hundred to two thousand a year just running the cameras, not counting the cost of the camera. Right. So uh, I just got in a shipment of three hundred. I actually found a really good deal on them, um, but um, a lot of people have been sending us uh, messages about you know cellular, especially running you know uh, solar panels and um, and uh, twelve volt um, external batteries. And I think you've played around with the solar and in the right area, that's a great option for people that are, especially with cell cameras that, you know, keeps you from going in there changing batteries so much. Yeah. In the right situation, it's fine. Now, uh, with, with that said, you know, I'm running about 50 cameras and I got two of them that are, you know, ha have cell chargers on them. Yeah. Uh, it's just not everywhere. You can hang a cell charger and have it out in the sun and, just uh you know out of the reach of of critters where they're not going to get it and i've got two places on my home farm i'm probably going to add a a couple more on the home farm for security reasons and uh 
on other properties i'm not going to use them and the other big thing that i don't like about it is those cell um chargers are so visible i mean you can hide a camera pretty easy but when you get a you know a cell charger that's the size of a car battery and you try to hang it in a tree or on a post and then run wire to your camera well anybody that comes by is going to see that and i like to be just a little bit more incognito than that you know i um I, I experimented around with um, some motorcycle batteries or four-wheeler batteries this year in a ammo can or dry box uh, running the 12-volt adapter up the side of the tree, and I had really good luck with it. Um, um, I'm going to be doing more of that this year. You know, when you do the math and, you know, these these uh, lithium batteries are pretty pricey, and I've bought so much ammo over the years in, in ammo cans that I have a bunch of those plastic ones. So um, for the right situation where I don't need to put my uh, cell camera way, way up in the air, it's it's a little bit lower. Like if I have it on a fence post or something like that, where I can coil that uh, uh, wire up around the, the the post itself and set it in the weeds at the bottom. That's a really good option for people I had one run two cell cameras the entire year or the entire season last year. Um, but, um, you know, there's other situations, like you said, we need to, if we need to put our um, um, camera up high, you know, the cord's not going to be indefinite, you know, 10 feet long or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do have one elevated box blind here in Kentucky that I always put a cell camera. I got one of those uh, screw in uh Cranford Manufacturing makes them. They donated to the Luster's Feet auction. I screwed one of those into the side of the blind, and I can point it out to a very specific area, and then I put the battery box inside the blind and just ran it in, snaked it into the window, and that works fabulous. So, uh, yeah, battery battery bills are very, very expensive. So uh, Mm I hope everybody's able to hide those from their wives if they're buying a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, it. Uh, if you're going to run a bunch of cameras, it's not cheap for sure. Right. So uh, I think did you, you want to give us an update about your plots? Did you finally get some rain this week? We did. You know, uh, I did something that I've never done before. And last night I planted plots in the dark. And uh, so you, I've got a NutriCrave corn plot, and, and we have not had a good rain on it since I planted it a month ago. And it, it came up fantastic in some areas, but I had a couple of like clay knobs, you, I'd call them, little rises in the field where the soil's not quite as good and it, it's really dry. Well, the corn was real spotty on those dry knobs. So uh, I had my, my John Deere 7000 planter hooked up to the tractor and I, I got some grain sorghum seed from um, Dwayne up at Kitchen Seed. And I had that planter ready to go. Well, sorghum, you can plant it later in the year. You can plant it in July, and it's fantastic. It'll, it's compatible with a lot of the same herbicides at corn. That was my issue, was I'd put down that Resicor as a pre-emergent for that corn, and I had to find something compatible. Um, so uh, anyway, I had the tractor ready to go, and last night uh, I, I get a text from Calvin Herta, who I know listens to the podcast, and he sent me a screenshot of the radar. It says, looks like you guys are finally going to get that good rain you're needing. And, uh, and it was about <laughs> nine o'clock at night and I jumped up <laughs> and I started checking all the different weather apps, you know, on my phone. 
and I seen that he was right. We was going to get a rain. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to plant plots. And she looked at me like I was nuts. And I ran out and got on the tractor in the dark and ran back there and, and, uh, patched in some places in that corn with the grain sorghum. And I, I got back in the house probably about 10 o'clock or so. And then, you know, took a shower, went to bed at midnight. I get woke up by this driving rainstorm hitting a bedroom window. I couldn't have timed it any better within two hours of me doing that. It was getting a nice soaking rain and we got an inch and a 10th. So, uh, Very nice. our plots needed it. Well, it will not be the first or the last time Robin, your wife thinks that you're plumb crazy with the stuff that you do for, for chasing these critters. She knows it by this point. So, uh, um, as far as the, the rain on your side, I'll be honest with you. I have not been back to my place since I sprayed. So I, I did not go back to the farm all week. Um, I just even rolled in here today. Um, I almost called you last night to see if you wanted to record last night. I'm glad I didn't. You would have been in the tractor, but, at uh, nine o'clock I was, yeah. <laughs> We've uh, we've been at a ball field all weekend, and I literally just rolled in the door here and took a shower and came down to record. So uh, for those people listening and watching on this one, I assure you, if if I was going to pick a week that I wasn't up for recording and I was wore out and we were going to skip one, it would have been tonight. So uh, I, yeah. I apologize in advance. The uh, post-production editing will probably not be, uh, um, let's just say, on my top-notch uh execution tonight so <laughs> well you got a good excuse uh, for those listening terry was at a uh, softball tournament with his girl softball team and they won the championship so he's been at uh, three games today three games yesterday and then played friday night as well so his uh, whole weekend's been dedicated to coaching those girls and congratulations on the win yeah <laughs> The, the game of softball has gotten to the point it's almost as bad as social media. There's a bunch of just absolute quacks that are <laughs> just makes you shake your head that people treat umpires, uh, teenage kids, and coaches the way they do. But I am absolutely blessed to have a wonderful group of 10 young women that I've had most of them since they were about nine years old and fantastic parents that will not uh, they will not waver on the integrity of how we are trying to mentor these kids using a game uh, to promote sport, poor sportsmanship, bad attitudes, or, uh, or anything negative. So I, I'm very, very lucky to have I told I told one of the parents when you can win a championship with that kind of kids, and those quality of parents and do it the right way. It's really something special. So I'm really proud of them. Um, but I need a break. So I haven't even told you this, uh, this, this 4th of July weekend, it's actually in the state of Kentucky, it's dead period. So that means that any coach that coaches high school athletics cannot be around any uh, high school athletes for two weeks in the summer. And then the rule is designed just to keep these you know, crazy coaches from going all year round and never giving kids a break. So uh, we're shut down and giving the kids a break, letting families take vacations. And uh, my family is going crazy with other activities, except me. I don't have anything to do for the next two weeks except for Lester's feet. So I got the harebrained idea. I'm jumping in the truck and Austin Razor and I are driving to Destin, Florida on Tuesday morning early to go deep sea fishing. <laughs> really? 
just to get away. So well, uh, we're taking a boys trip down to the Gulf and uh, going to chase some giants off the shore of Destin. So if we got any listeners, deal. if we got any listeners that are vacationing in Destin this coming weekend, um, send me a message on social media. I might have an open spot on our charter boat if you're uh, interested in going <laughs> deep sea fishing with us. So we should have a good time. Well, you need a break and I'm glad you're getting one. I'm not I'm not a big fisherman, but I do enjoy offshore fishing in the Gulf. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, um, outside of that, why don't uh, you've picked five really good questions. I'm going to try to get to all of them um, tonight. But uh, why don't we go ahead and get the first one uh, out of the way after we hear a message from our primary sponsor, our friends at Osseo Gear. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, Don, I'm going to share a screen for our first question of the night. Okay, the first one comes from Dustin from Russellville, Kentucky. He says, hi, Don and Terry. Love the podcast. I know you have talked about this some, being you hunt Ohio, which is a bait state as well. But my first question is, I live in a bait state and all my neighbors bait, so I feel like I need to do the same or they have all the deer. So I normally just dump it out on the ground. What's your thoughts on that versus using a feeder to feed the deer? Also, will a feeder spook a mature buck or not? Also, what are your thoughts on putting out mineral versus just supplemental feeding? Should I be doing both or is one enough? And the last question is, will it hurt to hunt over the bait or would you recommend baiting off to the side so the deer don't associate that with hunters possibly? Uh, Terry, you might have to keep me in, on track here with all these questions. Um, uh, let's see. First of all, supplemental feeding versus baiting, two different things. P pouring a pile of corn out is not supplemental feeding. Um, that's baiting. If you're going to supplemental feed, that means you're trying to provide those deer with additional nutrition, not just something to bring them into a location for a, a trail camera or, or a, you know, a hunting opportunity. So uh, I'm a, a big proponent of supplemental feeding. I do it on my Ohio properties, um, try to do it year round. I, I'm not a huge fan of hunting close to those feeders. I use those feeders like you mentioned. If you don't, if you're in those states where it's allowed, if you don't do it, um, your neighbors are going to have the deer. Um, I put those feeders around the edge of my food plots. I, I try to provide sizable plots that have some drawing power. And then to add to that drawing power, I put feeders around the edge. I'm, I don't like pouring that feed out on the ground. It just uh, invites mold as well as a lot of other critters like raccoons, squirrels, whatever. Um, I, I prefer a, a, a gravity-fed feeder that feeds down through a tube um, where the deer just stick their nose into it. 
in, in regards to mature bucks. Um, you know, when that feeder first gets put out, I'm sure that uh, a buck is very, very cautious about it. And, and probably the first time that he associates that with a hunter, somebody in a tree stand nearby, uh, he's going to be very tough to kill around a feeder. Um, but, you know, I think if a buck grows up around feeders, you know, if, if when he's a fawn, he's his he's following his mother to a, to a feeder and they're, they're feeding there. I don't think it's going to spook them whatsoever until they associate that human factor with it and the danger, um, you know, nearby. So, uh, I don't think it has that big of impact on mature bucks, depending on how you use them. Uh, if I was lived in a state where I was, you know, doing this on a more regular basis than what I am as a non-resident of my Ohio properties, um, I, I would use those, I mean, I would set them up very similar to the way I would hunt a food plot. I, I would hunt between the bedding and the food, not right on top of, of either. Now, when it comes to mature bucks, you're a whole lot better off to be closer to the bed than the food. But, uh, you know, the other thing you need to think about is whether you're using those feeders as uh, a bait or for supplemental feed, you know, to help the nutrition and the health of the herd. You need to put something in it that's different than your neighbor. If your neighbor is using shelled corn, I'm telling you what, I, I've said this, I don't know how many times on this podcast, and I can't believe nobody's jumped on it yet. If I lived in Kentucky or Ohio, one of those states, I would be planting a field of NutriCrave corn, and I'd be, I'd be harvesting that corn and storing it up to put in the feeders, because I guarantee you those deer are going to come to that before they do regular shelled field corn. I'm but, doing uh, it. I'm are doing you growing it. some? Are you growing some uh, NutriCrave to put in feeders? Yeah, that, that's right. a fantastic idea. Yep, we bought a grain bin. Um, we put enough out that we're gonna. We have it on a separate farm outside of where I hunt that we're uh, we're putting it up to feed with. Well, I think somebody could make a business out of it. Really, I mean, if you had that feed or that corn in your feed, there is no doubt whatsoever the deer are coming to it before they're going to come to regular ag corn. Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate Dustin's questions because, you know, he's really trying to, I think, I think the thought process that he's using about what type of feeder, where do I put it? How do I hunt around it? He's going the extra mile to just say, instead of walking out there two weeks before the season and dumping, you know, 200 pounds of corn on and then hunt over it. Um, I think, um, I've had multiple six and seven year old deer that are here on my wall in the room I'm in right now with pictures eating out of a feeder. But I think another key point to that is these guys that go out and just do it right before the season starts. That's the, that's the red flag. If that feeder's there all year round and you're doing it for, you know, long-term nutrition, those deer are getting used to you coming in, feeding that deer. It's, it, they pattern you before you pattern them. And even though there's an association of humans there, that being there all the time, all year round is something positive that, that you're leaving. So I think you can do it and get away with mature bucks. Now, are you going to put a feeder out with NutriCrave corn and pull a seven-year-old booner off the neighbor's farm onto you the first night you put it out? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe depending on the deer. But um, I think I think a steady regiment that's the same all year round is going to help your cause. Um, the other thing that I think people 
you know, you, you don't you, you don't spend as much time obviously in Ohio and I'm from here. I look at how people hunt feeders in the state of Kentucky. And the biggest mistake people make when they're hunting over a feeder or over feed is they have no way to get out. How many times in early season do these deer come out right at dark and you're hunting over that feeder and now you got to get out of your stand or your box blind? How are you getting out? You're you're blowing those deer out. So Patrick Simpson, you know, our mutual friend, he's my neighbor and hunting buddy here. He's probably one of the best I know at putting his supplemental feeding areas in specific spots and him being able to hunt an access point between the bedding and that feed. So even he might have to stay in a half hour late, but he's not he's not blowing those deer out because they're they're making a steady walk towards the feed. But I can't tell you how many people I see that, you know, have a ladder stand right over a feeder. And I'm sure it fills up with a bunch of does and the bucks are probably staging up not too far away. And, you know, they're getting down out of the stand and blowing everything out of the field. I think that's the biggest mistake people make. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt that you've got way more experience with feeders than I do. But uh, there's also no doubt that you and Patrick both have tagged some giant bucks in, in Kentucky where you can feed. So you yep. guys are doing something right. Yep. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a, I, I understand where he's coming from about, you know, feeling like you have to do it to compete with the Joneses. But at the same time, that neighbor of yours that's throwing shell corn out is probably not, not concerned about the overall health of your herd either. So I think you need to focus on what you need to focus on, whether you think it's right to hunt over that feeder or hunt 200 yards from that feeder or, you know, that's up to you. But um, I think if you're doing it, you need to do it smart to where you at least have a way out and run it all year. Do it for the benefit of the herd. And that brings up a question that I neglected to answer that Dustin asked, and that is, uh, should he be feeding and using mineral? And absolutely he should. Um, You know, there's, I, I preach diversity of food sources a, a lot, and there's going to be uh, trace elements in that mineral that the deer may not be able to get from their feed, probably won't get from their feed, at least in uh, a- adequate levels. So I, I absolutely am a proponent of supplemental feeding and supplemental mineral when it, where it's legal. Well, and I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent here, but I got to vent a little bit. If you're going out to buy your supplemental feed this year or your corn or your trail cameras or your batteries, I'm going to urge all of our listeners to keep driving by Dick's Sporting Goods and Sports or uh, Field and Stream and not give one ounce of your money to those uh, corrupt bigots that would dare to post out on there that they're going to donate $4,000 to anybody who wants to go across state line for an abortion. Um you know, I know a lot of people do not like us bringing up politics and venting on this kind of stuff, but here's a chance for outdoorsmen to um, to really stand up for something. And with as many people that yell, let's go, Brandon, at the end of these uh, questions that they submit to us, um, I think, you know, people got to draw a line somewhere. And uh, I saw that. I didn't see it till today, actually. And it made my stomach sick. Yeah, I was going to. You know, I almost put in our notes for <laughs> for this podcast the Roe v. Wade decision, and I left it out. It was it was all I could do to leave it out because 
my angle is very similar to what you just brought up, Terry. But you know what disappointed me was that the the few posts that I seen from influential people within the hunting industry on that decision, it was like it didn't even happen. That now there was a few that that made comments and uh, positive comments, you know, supporting that decision. But uh, if I think you and I have already made the decision. If somebody that we we stand for good when in the battle of good versus evil, we're going to stand on the side of what's right every time. And if somebody can't uh, tolerate our five minute little rants here and there, then uh, they're probably in the, on the wrong podcast. But uh, we've got some fantastic listeners that support what we do, and I, we've received so many comments. Uh, that people like to hear our views on, um, you know, our our savior salvation and also on politics. So every once in a while, I think we need to go off. Yeah, I mean, I had somebody today say something. Well, are you going to ban Google and are you going to ban Apple and you're going to ban Amazon? Maybe I'm going to try to give as much money as I can to small business owners in my community that are investing and sponsoring. I made a post not too long ago about the, all of the, I made, I took a video around my kid's high school softball field and had all these banners up there of these, of these companies that had donated money to sponsor our youth. And uh, yeah, if I have the choice and the ability to buy something from them over Amazon, you bet I am. And uh, I can guarantee you one thing. Um, I will not spend another dime at Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, I'm, I'm just, it, it made me sick. It made me mad. And I thought you made a fantastic post, I believe, yesterday or today about how um, um, a good gauge of what kind of church and congregation you go to is how the minister actually spends it. And I think that's that's true. We have a, such a lot of great men and congregations and leaderships that this was a huge win for our country and the Christians in this country. Um, I think Trump is going to always end up going down as a very controversial president, but um, I now put him at the top of the list because what he did to get that Supreme Court justice in there before these liberals got there um, was a great thing for our country and the morality of our country. So... That's all Amen. I got to say about that. Make America great again. <laughs> um, can Let's take just a quick minute and give people some housekeeping items for Lester's feet. So the people listening on Sunday night late, early Monday, know that Monday, the 27th, is the last day that you can buy tickets online. We will close ticket sales on the 27th. So make no mention, we, we're getting people calling right now saying, I didn't get my check in the mail. What can I do? I can't deviate from this, people. There, There's no friends with, you know, I know Don and Terry, I'm sending my check. We are complying to gaming laws and raffle uh, uh, regulations and ticket sales will be shut off tomorrow at the end of the day. Now, what's going to happen next week is we're going to, record the podcast and do a live drawing um i believe we said three o'clock eastern time on july 4th is that right don i think so yeah yeah we'll we'll uh we'll advertise it so we're going to broadcast it on don's facebook page uh don higgins higgins outdoors is where it will be and then uh, the video will be uploaded on youtube later that evening 
So for all the people that are calling and saying, did you get my check? Uh, we don't know. We're <laughs> Robin, Don's wife, is helping me on that end. I'm doing it here. Uh, we are madly putting in all the checks that are coming in. You do not get tickets sent back to you necessarily. So don't worry about it if you didn't get it. All the checks that we get in will be logged. And then uh, we'll draw names uh, next Monday at 3 o'clock. Someone is going to win a brand new Chevy truck. Somebody's going to win a pole building. And somebody's going to win a new tractor. And uh, 72 other prizes. But um, we will contact you the week after the drawing and make arrangements to get it to you. So again, the 27th is the last day. And I can't wait to tell everybody how much money was raised. Uh, we're going to be able to help so many families. And I know the raffle. We talked to uh, Chris Yates at Victory Chevrolet. And, and um, you know, th those guys, those guys really get it. You know, they both last year, um, you know, Midwest Land Group and Victory Chevrolet wrote, wrote very big donations to Lester's feet last year. But they talked about the parable in the Bible where, you know, Jesus took the the few fish and the few loaves of bread and he fed all of those people, you know, the the multitude of people that were there. And and really that's their goal with this is take one small thing that they could have just donated the the money anyway and made it blow up to get so much more attention. So, you know, multiplying that gift, um it's really special that those guys have believed in us, become such good friends. And uh, we really appreciate them helping us get this off the ground. But I'm excited about next week at three o'clock on uh, on July 4th. Yeah. So those folks who listen to the podcast late Sunday night, Monday morning, you won't find it next week. It'll be in the afternoon, it'll be a live uh, broadcast. So uh, we'll see you then. Yeah. So you will be we'll be uploading it Monday night and you'll be able to listen to it Monday night, Tuesday morning next week. The Lester's Feet Foundation is a 100% volunteer, nonprofit organization whose sole mission is to help families with sick children. The impact on families who have children with life-altering illnesses can be devastating and often requires one or both parents to be away from work. Through our fundraising efforts and the help of our generous donors, Lester's Feet works with families to help alleviate the financial burdens associated with caring for their children through such a challenging time. 100% of donations and fundraising profits go directly to the families we are supporting. We are excited to announce that Solid Rock Chapel in Sullivan, Illinois is supporting our foundation by hosting a huge raffle with $150,000 worth of prizes, including a new Chevy truck, a John Deere tractor, a material kit to a post-frame building, and much more. The drawing will be on July 4th, 2022, so please visit us at www.lestersfeetfoundation.org to purchase your raffle tickets and learn more about our organization. All right, so let's move on to question number two. I'm sorry, I'm lagging on my screens here. You should be able to start seeing it come up right now. All right, this question comes from Ryan Norton from Florence, Kentucky. Ryan's says, a neighbor. Oh, Ryan, yeah. Ryan lives, Ryan lives really close to me. Well, good deal. This might be a question for you to answer. Um, he says, Don and Terry, just want uh, you guys to know I have great respect for the both of you. Thanks for all you do through the podcast. 
Don, this one is for you and it's about trail cameras. I have heard you say many times that you want to support a good company that does the right thing by its customers. On episode number 23, you talked about how great the Reconyx trail cameras are, but you also, but you were so fed up with their customer support <laughs> that you were pretty much done with them. I remember you had that. sent them a dozen emails about a product issue and had gotten no response. You were so done with them that you started a series of trail camera tests to see what brand of camera you were going to switch to. And you were going to share those results with us on the podcast as well. I know you are an honest, straightforward guy. And I was curious, is Reconyx a company that is going to stand behind their product now? We all know how important the intel is we gather with these cameras and know how expensive they are. What changed in your mind to stick with them so much so that you now sell their products on your website? Thanks again for all you guys do. And let's go, Brandon. Ryan. Well, Ryan, you know, I, I picked your your question for uh, well, a couple of reasons. I think all, all the listeners deserve to, to hear an answer. But I also wanted to, to make a point that, that we don't dodge tough questions around here. You put us on the spot. We're not like the rest of the hunting industry. We're going to run and hide and we're going to ban you from our page or whatever. We'll take the tough questions along with the easy ones. Um, the issue with Reconyx, um, was, a first of all, their cameras are top notch. Um, I, I did the test as you mentioned, and I, I have not been able to find another camera that even comes close, even comes close to Reconyx. Um, I am aware, I'll just let, let you folks in on a little secret that's not out yet. I am aware of a new trail camera company in the works name hasn't even been released yet that uh if if it, some of the things that's been mentioned to me will blow away anything that's out there right now and i'm not going to share any of the details because they were shared to me in confidence but uh there is a company that's going to come after reconyx in terms of quality of, of the cameras but today the reason I'm still using Reconyx is, is I can't find anything that even comes close. And when you're hunting world-class bucks, you just cannot afford to miss a picture opportunity. And you can post on the internet and you can say, you know, which trail camera is the best? And you're going to get a dozen different answers, if not 20. And everybody that, that answers is going to swear up and down that their $100 China camera is... Uh, is the best out there well i'm i'm here to tell you that the cameras made in china are, are worthless <laughs> I, they, they just are i mean i mean the, the components are second rate compared to american-made products and uh you know they, they they just don't stack up now that doesn't mean that those cameras cannot take a good picture and, and that's what people get all hung up on they see a nice crisp clear picture taken by one of these hundred dollar cameras and and they just think oh this is great look at these great pictures i'm getting yeah well you know what you don't realize is how many pictures you are missing and i've tested a lot of different brands side by side next to reconyx and and you'll hear people say well that's not a good test that's not the way you got to test it well i don't care it's fair in my eyes it's fair i mean you got two cameras pointed the same direction right next to each other how can that not be fair 
it's a, it's the same, you know, set of, of circumstances for each camera. But anyway, I have yet to find a camera that will have 50% of the deer pictures that a reconnex has. Think about that. The very, very, very best other brand of camera is not even 50% of reconnex and, and reconnex has the best battery life. They got uh, the best trigger. Um, they've got the, the longest, um, battery life, but, uh, it, it, it's just, it's not even comparable. <laughs> um, so I, I just can't take a chance chasing these big bucks. Now, I, the reason I was upset with the Reconix company is because I had sent them dozens of emails that were just ignored and not replied to, but I'll tell you what, because of you listeners of this podcast, because of you guys telling Reconix about me bashing them, Reconix now treats me a whole lot different than they did before. And I think from what I've heard from, from others that their customer service is pretty good. Um, but I guarantee you they've, they've got a new policy about answering emails and what they had a hundred episodes ago back on episode 23. Well, I, there's, there's two points I want to make here. The one is Don and I usually aren't too filtered and we're not real trained professionals when it comes to this whole podcasting gig. So it's not uncommon for us to pop off about something, uh, obviously. And truth be told, um, you know, we've never been offered any sponsorship from Reconyx, and that's probably part of the reason why. Um, but that's okay. Um, I do think that uh, we were probably a little harsh the day that we went off on them because both of us had had a problem. Um, probably could have been a little more tactful, but at the same time, we're real people. We you know, apologize and accept the fact. I'm not sure what episode it was, Don, but shortly after that episode where we said that, uh, you made, after Reconyx reached out, you actually set the record straight and said that they had heard about it, they reached out, and we tried to make it right. We said we were frustrated, we vented about it, but they did contact us, and we haven't had any trouble since. So if nothing else, if we created change in procedure, policy, what have you to help them improve the customer service? I don't know, but since that episode, it's it's been pretty um, uh, pretty good for both of us. And the other uh, the other key point there is you were actually a dealer for him prior to episode twenty three. It wasn't you were actually set up as a dealer prior to that. Um, you might not have had him on your website, but you you were a dealer for him before that. So. I'll, I'll I'll bet you over the past year, without question, I am in the top one percent of all Reconyx dealers. I, I I promise you, the UPS man is dropping off cases of Reconyx cameras at my house weekly, and I, I would, if Reconyx has a bigger dealer, I'd like to know who it is. I mean, I I bet I I rival Bass Pro Shop the number of cameras I send out Reconyx cameras. All right. Well, um, but I hope that answers your question. Again, it was a good question, um, but I think if you filter through uh, some episodes after 23, uh, I don't know what episodes they were. Uh, we actually talked about Reconyx reaching out to us and trying to make it right. Um, nobody's perfect, um, but we hope that uh, they're a better company and because of it. But I have no doubt it's because of our fans that uh, 
connected the dots for us and got some attention. Yeah, and, you know, with real world, we, we deal with customer issues too, but, uh, I don't think, and we may miss an email or, or a phone call or something like that, but there is no way that we miss a dozen from the same person. And so, you know, we, we kind of see it from both sides. I got a, uh, email in the real world. Uh, I haven't told you this. I think it was two days ago and some guy sent a snarky email using the f-bomb i counted them seven times complaining about the ups charges that were on there screaming at us about how bad we are because of it and even somebody that talked to me like that i still responded in a tried to be graceful i actually shared a scripture with him said we don't appreciate that kind of language from this point forward i will not answer emails that have that in it but and gave him an explanation that we don't set UPS prices. We're kind of our hands are handcuffed with it, but uh, we don't make a penny on UPS. Right, so but uh, we don't set that charge. Even with even with someone chewing me out and and uh, mfing me about seven times, I still answered it even when I shouldn't have. So, um, talking about customer service though, real quick, uh, I'm going to share a video in just a second. Quiet Cat has done a lot as far as new product development, especially with supply chain. A lot of our customers that are looking at bikes have questions about what bike they want. And this virtual showroom that they've launched out is a fantastic tool for you guys to reach out to their people, talk about what kind of terrain, where you want to go. So I'm going to play that video. I encourage you, if you're looking at an electric bike, whether or not it's an, a Quiet Cat or not, reach out to these guys in the virtual showroom and they'll help you uh, point you in the right direction. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com slash meet. All right, Don, well, we're gonna move on to question number three for tonight. By the way, those people listening and watching, Don has a new buck behind him in the frame. We're gonna show some pictures of it. And this buck that he's got behind him is near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna enjoy Don sharing the story of this one with everybody. So uh, just make sure you stay tuned at the end of the podcast for Don's uh, buck profile story. So here you should be able to see the question number three, Don. Yeah, question number three comes from Kelly Shanley from Allegan, Michigan. I hope I said that city right. Allegan, Michigan. Anyway, Don and Terry, there are a lot of feelings and opinions on smaller soybean plots and how to mitigate browse pressure so the plants can become established before having a failure. Lots of guys would recommend not even messing with beans at smaller acreage say under four to five acres because of this reason. Number one, why is it important to make an extra effort of getting soybean plot to maturity and having those pods available late season and through winter? What does a soybean plant offer that a fall blend like Deadly does and does not? What have both of you seen and used as a very effective way to reduce, eliminate browse on establishing 
bean plots. Uh, my Lorganite, electric fence, drilling into standing vegetation, etc. How long would you suggest leaving an electric fence up before removing and allowing deer in to browse? I'm located in a high deer density area in southwest Michigan and have additional acres of clover available as well as a section that will go to deadly dozen in August to add to the variety of the food. Thanks for the great podcast and content. Well, we get a lot of questions about soybean plots and establishment of soybean plots. And, you know, there, there's really no hard set rules uh, when it comes to this, because in an area like where I'm at, where the deer density is really low, I can get away with planting a half acre of soybeans. Um, you know, other places, you, you know, you get into places with heavy deer populations in Michigan uh, where Kelly's from, I, places in Iowa where you could plant a 40 acre field and they almost get wiped out. So uh, it, it's got to do more with deer density than anything. Um, but there is some things we can do. Now, I'm just going to say right for the record, I have no experience whatsoever with electric fences. A lot of our customers do. They swear by them. Um, I, I just don't need them. If I was going to put an electric fence up, if I went to the trouble to install that fence, I would probably leave it up until right before hunting season, take it down maybe a week ahead of hunting season. If you're going to do it, you might as well go all the way and, you know, just keep it up. Uh, he was also asking about uh, what the soybeans provide that the other plants won't. Well, it, it's the protein, you know, in the and the and the oil content. In the wintertime, there are very few high-protein plants available. The deer are living basically on browse, um, any, depending on where they're at. You know, if they're in ag country, they're, they're living on, uh, you know, wasted grain out in an ag field. Uh, that the combine might have missed or an unharvested field, uh, any acorns they might find that are left. But that time of the year in the wintertime, quality food sources are really scarce. And, and there's nothing going to be available that's going to compete with a soybean in terms of protein content. But I think probably the big draw for soybeans is that oil. And, and that's why Real World's got a, you know, has selected for high oil um, content. The, uh, that oil is fat. Basically, it's fat, and it helps that animal to stay warm. And, uh, you know, I'll just throw in a little plug here for real-world soybeans. I think there, there's some people out there that bash them, saying it's just another ag bean. Um, well, my reply is this. You know, this was our 14th spring of selling food plot seed. Soybeans have been there since day one, and for the 14th straight year, our soybean sales have increased. And we have chat from day one, we have challenged people to plant those real world soybeans next to any other soybean out there. And we, we say all the time, the, the toughest bag for us to sell a customer is the first one. Because if we can sell him the first one and he'll plant it next to anything else out there, forage beans, it doesn't matter, whatever you come across, we've got a customer. Um, so, you know, it's, I hope that answers all your, your questions regarding soybeans. Kelly, did I miss anything, Terry? Or? No, I think uh, I think the the first question was, what does beans give you that deadly dozen or clover or something doesn't provide you? Um, I'd also say keeping that food above snow in areas like Michigan, you know that you get good ground cover and frozen frozen ground. You, those beans will be up out of that, not down in the mud, whatnot. Um, 
But then I, I agree with you. I, Joe Bosing, our, our buddy from uh, Indiana, he gave me an electric fence uh, set that he ended up not using anymore, and I have never used it. Um, if somebody comes to you and says what you can and can't do with no understanding of your deer density or your property, that should raise a red flag immediately. But I will tell mm. you that we could have made, over the years, we could have made a ton of money by selling soybeans in a half acre bag. Yep. <laughs> but we, we chose not to because we want to we want to try to educate customers to get soybeans to stay established less than one acre. It's tough. And it's not saying you can't do it, uh, but it's just tough. You're going to have to have a game plan on it. And that might be something as simple as a lot of surrounding alfalfa. Uh, that's what I get away with. You know, they'll go to the alfalfa and take the browse pressure off timing when the alfalfa is cut based on when you're planting uh, fencing other chemicals there's all different ways i think that you have to keep continuing to uh, try different things to see what works on your farm uh, with what's there and um, you know getting them established you you said a long time ago in one of the maybe it was a maybe it was a plug for this podcast that the best thing about a spring food plot is if it fails you still can do a fall Yep. People think that if that if they browse off soybeans and they don't get established, you failed. But yeah, it stinks that you have to go back and plant something different. But you just did a fabulous thing by putting high nutrition in an area, bringing the deer to your property in a time when they're, you know, having fawns, taking care of fawns. You're providing that that good food source through the spring just because they mowed them off, you're still getting them to come to you. you. You've done a great thing. Don't think of, is it a failure? You just have to adapt the plan for the next year. Yeah. And, you know, Kelly asked about, you know, tips for establishing using malorganite electric fence or whatever. I'll tell you one thing that's worked good for me. You know, when we had those lease properties, Terry, and I was driving, pulling my tractor all the way and planting those food plots in that area had more deer than what I've got, you know, where I live on my home farm. But, uh, what I'd like to do is, is, uh, no-till soybeans into standing vegetation and especially rye. And I know a lot of people that follow me on social media have seen the, the tractor rig that I had where, you know, the, it had a, a loader bucket on the front that was detachable. And I would take that loader bucket off and then I custom made a sprayer um, with two little wing booms that came out. It was 10 foot total width. And then I had a, a 10 foot drill I pulled behind it. So I would spray right in front of my tractor and then I would plant right behind it. And I would spray through rye or whatever the crop was and kill it. And then immediately I'm drilling in all in one pass. And that really helped hide that young bean plant because you you run over that rye or whatever you're not really knocking it down you do some but but for the most part it still remains standing but now it's been sprayed with a herbicide and it's going to die so as that that plant is dying the soybean is growing and, and coming to life and for a period of time that little soybean plant is hid down in that vegetation and, and it really helps hide it from from browsing deer they would much rather be out in a farmer's ag field where they don't have to stick their head down in a bunch of dead weeds to, to eat them little soybean plants. And that worked really well. Yeah. 
All right, great question. Uh, we'll move on to question number four from Andy in West Virginia. All right, Andy's from Rachel, West Virginia, and he says when deer go into to bedding, they often J-hook the downwind side of the bedding to bed using the wind to their advantage. My question is how often do you see bucks J-hook out of the bedding to get downwind of the food source or just get downwind to the direction they want to go? Thanks for all the great information you two put out. Well, Andy, that's a great question. What I typically notice with mature bucks is, uh, um, you know, he's got his bed and then he's laying there all day. And when he gets up, he pretty much knows where he wants to go. He, he's most of the time he's getting up and he's going to a food source. If he doesn't have the wind to his advantage, he's going to stay in that bed till it's dark. And he's just not going to get up and commit suicide just because he wants to go feed. He'll, he'll wait another hour or so until it's dark. Then he'll go do it. Um, and, and when he heads to that, that, uh, food source, he, he wants a, a quartering nose wind is, is ideal, but as he's heading to that food source, he wants to, the wind coming from that food source towards him. And a lot of times they will, a buck will run the downwind edge of that food source, uh, you know, with a quartering nose wind and then hook out into the field or whatever it is. Um, they do do that. But uh, the big lesson here is that if that buck does not have a wind uh, that he thinks is to his advantage, he's just going to wait till dark. And I think that's what a lot of hunters miss. They think they've got the wind to their advantage and yeah they do but since they have it to their advantage the buck's not even going to move in daylight he's just going to lay there till it's dark yep uh, i i can't i don't know how to even stay it but when i started understanding after you know watching you and talking with you when I finally it clicked and it's something so easy that you think, why in the world did I never get this before? Your hunting experience will change drastically as soon as you accept that wind is, is the most pivotal part of this whole process. Uh, we talk about lack of human intrusion, but good grief, the wind is, that that's just a continuation of it. And I still believe with all my heart after after this process and this journey that I'm still learning. Whenever you see those magical days in the woods where all the bucks are going nuts and everything, there's days like that every day. It's just you're not in the right spot where that wind is doing what it needs to be doing for that specific spot. So when when it finally clicks for you guys, and, and I promise you, it's just when it clicks and understanding at different points in the time of the year and the season how bucks are using the wind to protect themselves. And as you said in the master classes several times, you don't go to bed without locking your front door. You know, yep. um, mm -hmm. there, there, it's just kind of the, these bucks have learned to live with shotgun hunters driving, people shooting from the road, who knows what. They've learned to live through, you know, four, five, six seasons. And the reason they're still alive is they're smart. So. Well, I think that's why it's so critical how you lay out a property because uh, 
if you have the opportunity to design a property any way you want, and there's always going to be some limiting factors, you know, everybody takes into to consideration the things that they can see. They, they, they know that they've got a neighbor to, let's say, the north that, that's going to kill everything. So they want to pull the deer away from him. But what, what's really critical when you design a plan for a property is considering wind direction, access and wind direction really key um i've got properties i hunt where you know i can only hunt the, a property with an east wind and i've got stands there and there's years i don't get to hunt that property at all um but you know when you start trying to to uh push the wind and uh, take chances with the wind that's a recipe for failure because you're not only failing on that hunt you're ruining the property for when the conditions are right so uh it all hinges on the wind absolutely all right well um i'm gonna ask for some patience from all of our listeners that are listening on um or excuse me watching on youtube um but for those people who are listening on mtech or that need to get a piece of paper and write down contact information for don's um seminar tour here coming up next month I don't think we're going to spend as much time this week, but uh, patience appreciated as Don runs down through this real quick and uh, updates us on his schedule. Yeah, so all I'm going to do is give you the date, the the town and state where I'm going to be, and the phone number that you need to call. Get your pencil um, ready. So on July 13th, I'm going to be in Hamilton, Indiana. The number to call, 567 210 8919 on july 14th i'm going to be in fredonia pennsylvania the number to call 724-475-1111 on july 15th i'm going to be in punxsutawney pennsylvania the number to call there 814-427-4243 on july 16th I'm going to be in Oakland Mills, Pennsylvania. The number there, 717-463-3060. July 18th, I'm going to be in Pinyan, New York. Number there, 585-554-0200. July 20th, I'm going to be in Canton, New York. The number there, 315-386-2752. 315-386-2750. Uh, July 21st, I'm going to be in Detroit, Maine. Number there, 802-458-3916. July 22nd, I'm going to be in Sheldon, Vermont. 802-933-2222. July 23rd, I'm going to be in Kanajahari, New York. Number there, 518-859-3310. Folks, please do not reach out to me because I am not responsible for any of the details at these events. All I've got is a time that I'm showing up. Any other questions? You need to call the numbers that I put out there. I think there's going to be food at every one of these events. Uh, there may be a charge for the food or whatever. Um, 
real world products will be available so you can save some shipping costs and then you won't have to send Terry a nasty email and get him all fired up. So, uh, use the F-bomb, I'm not answering you. (laughs) I'm going to be talking about uh, ultimate whitetail nutrition and food plots. And then I will have a question and answer session at the end of each uh, seminar. And we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. You can ask me about uh, politics, religion, whatever, and I'm not going to refuse to answer. Now, that's probably sounds like a challenge you know there's probably people out there thinking of what are they going to put me on the spot about but if you're going to, to this, you there if you're going to this don't call me and ask me for ideas of things to put don on the spot about <laughs> <laughs> i keep those i keep those teed up for when we're on the podcast and i can get him all wound up all right don well um i tell you what we're already right at pushing an hour so Let's uh, table our fifth question tonight because I want to spend some time talking about your big buck hanging behind you. We're going to splice in some pictures as you start talking about it. but uh, And then we'll save the fifth question that was saved for tonight for uh, when we come back here in two weeks with a normal podcast. All right. Well, the buck behind me, Terry, I killed in uh, 2019. That was the year that you and I filmed Mel as a three-year-old out of the blind. Mel was a three-year-old on the farm this summer or that summer. And, uh, he was in a bachelor group with this buck behind me. If you watch the, the Mel video and you're going to see a buck with a flyer coming off one G two time in velvet out in the beans with, with Mel that summer, that's the buck behind me. He was six and a half years old that, that fall when I shot him. And he was actually, we used a a photo of him in a real world soybean ad the fall before he broke his foot. And uh, he was actually, his his rear hoof was turned out to the side. I don't know if he got it caught in a fence or what he did, but somehow he, he broke that. And Kyle Harmon from Team Radical was hunting at my place and uh, had his wife here. I think they was trying to shoot a coal buck, if I remember right. And this buck came out into the soybeans and he was looking really bad. He was looking thin and, you know, he had uh, the scours and uh, he looked bad. And Kyle wanted to know if I wanted him to shoot him. And I said, ah, let's give him a chance. Let's see what happens. Um, because the next year he was going to be six years old. Well, it, it so happened that uh, at six years old, the rack behind me, he scored 167, but it was probably since he had been four years old, it was three racks in a row that was right there about the 170 mark. We always called him the fork tine buck because he always had fork G2s. They were short G2s, but they were both forked way down deep. And uh, so we called him the fork G2 buck. And uh, he was, you know, pretty much a homebody. He was here, you know, every fall. Uh, but when he reached six years old, I knew it was time to get him out. And so uh, that morning on November 4th, I finally got a crack. You and I tried to kill him in, in October. And I had just, just gone home. I think I'd only been home one day. I was there hunting him for about four days. And I'd yep. just gone home, and you you had shot him, I think, the next morning. Yeah, he, he was a pretty tough critter. And then the rut came around. He started moving. I shot him and uh, called my buddy Al Foster to help track. And he didn't go less than 100 yards. And, and we found him you know, pretty quick. But... Uh, just very typical of, of a lot of the bucks that are on this farm that this is about where they top out at, you know, close to 
you know, from 160 to 170, I get a lot of bucks at top out right there. But, you know, I shot him on November 4th, scored 167 on a morning hunt. The very next day on November 5th, I filled my second Illinois tag with a buck that scored 168. And that was on a totally different farm several miles away. But uh, I filled my two tags that year with two bucks that scored right under 170 and had three-year-old male running around that scored 215, 216 at the same time. So pretty interesting season. Yeah, go back and go back and watch the uh, velvet footage of the Mel video, and you get a really good look at, at the what we call the fork time buck, which is the buck behind Don. Ginormous body. I mean, he he had really um, his neck and head were really really big. Even though he re, you know he got really sick, and I don't have a very good memory. Um, I know that that same year Kyle had brought Jen over to to kill a call buck. But if my memory serves me right, Kyle was just wanting some late season footage because it had snow on the ground. And I think that's why he was there. Uh, I don't even think he had a bow with him. Uh, But for those of you who have have seen some of our print ads, uh, the fork time buck uh, was the one eating in that soybean field with the snow covering. And just like the question we had earlier, what does soybeans give us over deadly dozen? There was probably five inches of snow on the ground, and he was going through eating that high protein. And I have no doubt that that's what helped him recover from that injury was a yep. good food source to get him through that hard winter. Because if I remember right, that was a fairly hard winter you guys had that year. Right. Yeah, we had some snow and cold weather for, um, that year for sure. I've got some shed antlers off this buck. I don't remember how many um, antlers I have from him, but I remember finding one of them right here where my new house sits right here by my shed and i couldn't believe it was just laying right there but uh so within a few feet of where i'm at right now i found one of his shed antlers cool story cool buck old buck uh but um you know the 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 interesting thing about it is us documenting uh over the years this buck in different uh different times, different places, different pictures, but then watching him recover from that injury, these animals are so tough if you give them a chance with food. And um, I think uh, I think that's the biggest uh, kind of kickback to our questions about supplemental feeding, you know, and then the soybeans and all this work that we're putting in there, um, you're really giving them a chance when the stress, pressure, or even an injury uh somebody's using mechanical broadheads you never know but no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah giving them a chance i think that's just part of the total package that we're trying to put together with these habitat projects yeah and uh, back to his broken foot uh, the when i ended up shooting him a year later that foot had healed with the hoof sticking straight out to the side it was almost like he was instead of walking on the bottom of his hoof he was almost walking on the side of one side of his hoof yep and uh, kind of limping along but it wasn't slowing him down any the morning i shot him I'll, I'll say that he was still doing his thing yep all right well um we want to thank everybody for the um, questions please keep them coming in we are going to take a break with no questions next week because we'll have a full long episode to publish with the Lester's feet raffle on July 4th. Again, ticket sales are going to close the 26th. So you, you people listening today on Monday, um, today's your last day. Otherwise, uh, 
if if somebody still wants to donate, they can reach out to the foundation. And uh, Don reminded everybody last week, and I probably got 10 messages this week of people wanting us to contact families. We appreciate and we love the fact that this podcast is like a center hub to network with people in your community. But people also have to understand due to the size that this thing has gotten to, we have to follow some protocol and that is not going to be reaching out blindly to families. We need families to start a paper trail and submit a uh, very small, simple form on our website to start the process. So while you guys are doing a great job putting us in touch with families, that's great, but please understand because of discrimination policies and all this stuff that these lawyers um, have to get involved in now, we need the family or someone representing the family to fill out the paperwork. And it's a very short form on our website before uh, we can talk to them. So just please understand that. We appreciate everybody's patience. But other than that, Don, unless somebody's in Destin area this coming week that wants to go fishing, I don't have anything else. Nope. I'm going to get some cameras out this week. I got Steve Shields and uh, our website guy, Bruce Carroll, coming to my house later in the week uh, for some video work. Uh, we kind of hinted on uh, the video project that's going to be released here soon. And uh, so they're going to be here. But uh, hopefully when we talk next time, I'll have a bunch of cameras up. Yeah, there's uh we're not done with special uh surprises for the year. We got some other news that's coming in the near future too about uh how we're trying to expand and and help other people. So um we're not done with just your new website. There's going to be a, a lot of other things that we're going to going to release here over the summer. So we're excited about that. Right. Um you're going to find some people are going to see our true hearts and and our true character, I think uh with some of the things coming down the pike, Terry. Yep, I think so. All right. Hope uh, uh, hope not to see anyone in the Dick's Sporting Goods parking lot tomorrow. With that, I'll <laughs> let you turn it over and close us out. Well, thanks for supporting Lester's Feed, everyone. Uh, we, we just uh, feel extremely blessed that uh, we're able to use the platform God has given us. And uh, I, I personally feel extremely blessed that uh, Terry agreed to do this podcast because uh, – the, the Lester's feet thing is really um, Terry's doing. I, I've got a very small part in it. This guy, he, he's probably one of the busiest people I know. Without a doubt, he's one of the busiest people, if not the busiest. And yet he still finds time to help others. And uh, I just hope you all keep that in mind. He's not making a penny off of that. And uh, just, uh, you know, honored to have him a part of this. So God bless everyone. Uh, see you on the 4th, and hopefully one of you ends up with a brand new Chevy truck. Have a good week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, wildlifefarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.